Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Absolutely amazed. It shows the priorities of the country. Like if on a weekend, if you got sports fans, you know they don't they don't really want to see this impeachment stuff. So in three, did, am I right on this? Yeah. Three minutes, back maybe you. less. Hello, friends. Maybe less, <laughs> and you're back to the golf. Wonderful, as far as I was concerned. Oh, do totally you think? Wonderful. Do you think there was a producer screaming in Nora O'Donnell's ear? Come on, wrap it up. Hurry up! Hurry back. up! Wrap it up! Wrap it up! <laughs> Just so Got amazing. Maverick McNeil putting out. <laughs> Whoops. Where's the stuff that says Tony? Okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, for those of you who've waited for us to weigh in on the impeachment, now that uh, Jordan Spieth fell back and Daniel Berger hit an eagle on the last hole, uh, we'll do that today with Chris Saliza. We'll, but you know what? We're going to do it in a calm way. We're going to do it in a reflective, calm way because we're days away from it and it's not as big a deal and the emotions aren't as raw as they were then so we're going to do that speaking of reflections i'd like to offer a formal apology for my deep dive into the at&t pro tournament no amateurs i realize uh being cooped up with some young kids and some inclement weather i watched far too much of that yeah tournament i loved and, it uh yes yeah i love listening to it message received um who, chris who, oh Instagram chris comment section. chris oh chris attacked you on no 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 not chris oh okay uh, so I get this letter from does that privately. Max Coughlin, <laughs> who has um, a letterhead that says DJ Mad Max. It comes to my house. He says, Dear Tony Kornheiser, I hope all is well. I'm the president and general manager of WSG, uh, WSJU Radio, the college radio station at St. John's University in Queens, New York. I have two radio shows on the station that focus on sports, hip-hop, and entertainment. I've interviewed a variety of people in the entertainment and sports industries. A few of my most recent interviews include Kenny the Jet Smith, Matt Barnes, Frank Isola, Chris Carlin, Kelvin Beecham Jr., and Ron Tez Miles. I'm unfamiliar with the oeuvre of, by the way, I add parenthetically, Mr. Carlin, Mr. Beecham Jr., and Mr. Miles. I don't know who they are. I was wondering if you'd be willing to call or zoom into my show for an interview to discuss your career in broadcasting. What do you think my answer is to this? Are you free on Thursday? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm not, you know, Sports, uh, hip-hop, and culture? You got two out of three. I'm not sure you can handle the culture piece. Uh, the hip-hop thing is going to be lost on me. It's very, it's very nice. I'm appreciative that he reaches out. Mad Max, Mad Max Radio. I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna, certainly not going to zoom in. But he has his own letterhead. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, St. John's University, I know it well. Frank Isola, I know him well. Uh, I think you have to respect the ass. I do. I do. That's why I'm mentioning it. I think he has to respect the no. But, you know, th th that's... I think he can cobble together enough from this. Just, he just take this take this and run with it. Yeah, you're free to do that. Um, so I have... I normally have anxiety, but I now have so much more anxiety, and I don't know what it is. I woke up last night. I went to bed about 9.30... I woke up at 2. I did not get back to sleep for one minute. Hmm. This has to be, Michael, you think it's anxiety about the ice and snowstorm that's I'm coming sure tomorrow. I'm sure it's anxiety. I, I know for me, I'm having anxiety for different reasons. And, and apparently from reading the news, I have what is called vaccine envy. Uh -huh. Now for you, did you change any habits in the hours preceding when you would have gone to bed? Did you no. use your phone more? No. Okay. Had now, I had dinner. I had dinner. I took the dog out. I went up. I looked through the movies that were on on the movie channels that I had. The eight o'clock. Yeah, I settled on one for about fifteen minutes. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was the Peacemaker, which I like with George Clooney, yeah. but it's too early in the movie. You know, it wasn't the exciting yeah. part. It was too early in the movie. So then I just said, "Okay, I'm done." Now, did you switch from your ice cream and red wine? dosage into something a little bit different like say that cuban rum i had the cuban rum uh, earlier in the day finished the bottle there was just a very small amount left i finished that around six o'clock no i didn't even have any ice cream last night i had some i had a cookie or two no 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 i didn't do anything different i assume 
I assume that this has to do with the great anxiety I have about six to eight inches of snow and okay, a layer so, of ice on top of that. Yeah, I so assume. it's a layer of ice when everyone else is predicting maybe four inside the beltway. You're, ice. you're only seeing eight ice. plus with ice. With I, it's the ice, yeah. The crampons are already ready by the door. Yeah, they're ready, you know. Nigel, don't you feel the same way? Have you lost sleep? I, over, the, over the storm? Coming or yeah, well, over anything. Do you ever lose? I just. I, I don't doesn't sleep. I was up uh, at yeah. two. That was it. That was it. My up s- at two. See, maybe I, you heard ha- Bootsy coming into our room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, think I so. It does tread loudly. You know. So I have those I nights know. every now and then. I had that where I woke up four the other night and I could not get back to sleep. Most of the time, I'll fall asleep at like ten, wake up at two, and then at four, and then again at six. So it's yeah, it's I like just, a, a yeah, it's, it's, that, that's called a Doctor Pepper sleep. Ten to four. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I wish I had that. I didn't even I didn't even have that. But Michael, tell the people before we get to the belts. Tell the people about the LL Bean stuff that has shown up. So, I, no, I'm I, I disappointed, Sean, because I didn't get the canvas pants. Every every day when I come over here, there's something new that's sitting in my section. Yeah, your of section. Uncle Benny's table. You need to see and, it. And this is not a this is not a comfortable workplace environment. It's very tight. Uh, so you have received two pairs. Now I'm not sure if I can describe the fit, but you were recommended a fit by a friend. Classic fit. Classic. Classic not fit. a friend. A listener who was the manager of the L.L. Bean pants for years. He said, get the classic fit at your age. Get the classic okay, fit. Okay, so let me just let me just also start. This is not a golfing pant. This is a this is a winter trekking, take Chessie on a walk. No, no, I do that in jeans. No, this is for the attic. This, this is to oh, go up and an do attic. the show. Oh, this is going on TV. Well, it, it actually they only shoot me from, you know, the middle of my chest up, so nobody ever so sees let's, my let's pants. Let's describe the colors first. You really went out on a limb with what I'd like to call khaki. That's exactly now, called I qualify khaki. it as stone khaki because it's not a sand khaki. It's khaki. And also khaki. Khaki. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why is he so ripped now? Uh, I don't know. And also a shale gray. Yeah, I think it's called cobalt. Is it called shale or no, cobalt? It's called shale gray. Shale I'm gray. I'm reading it off of the tag. I I, I was going to get silt, but silt? silt looked too brownish. I didn't didn't really want it. And also, one of my now this I'm interested in. Go ahead, talk. This so, so you've always been you've always been mentioning the L.L. Bean T-shirts. Now I have actually been wearing these as loungewear in the evening, uh, which has annoyed, do you like them? Which has annoyed my wife to the point that she's trying to shrink them on purpose. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I was one step ahead and ordered the tall size, so right. her efforts are falling short. Right. Or should I say, just hitting at the right line? Uh, this is the Lakeshore long sleeve. Lakeshore long sleeve, no pocket, and it's called Sea Isle. I think that's this the color. Is sea pine. Sea pine. I think you're. I I think you are getting ready for a trip to the low country. This is a beautiful color, but you're a little bit nervous about wearing it. It's a little too young for me. It calls a little bit too much attention to a person. I'm much more comfortable, and I'm waiting for my dark gray or dark blue T-shirt to come as well. Oh, that well. was on back order? Yeah, not till April, not Liz till the middle of April. Liz has tried to get some pieces from them. It's like, oh, back order. It's a, like a pullover sweater, back order until May. It's a long time. I mean, if you're getting a sweater... It's a long time. So this was this was sitting at my side of the table. I wanted you to see them. Yeah. And then there's more to there's more to talk about. I just do want to interject this for people that we have who listen to us in areas that have in fact been devastated by the snow and the ice. And that would be in Texas, whoever is listening in Texas. Um, my friend Meg Lauk, luckily, she has power. Good. I texted with her last night. I was grateful to find that out. But it is devastating there because because they're not prepared for snow. They so rarely get snow. They right. don't have sand trucks. They don't have plows. They don't have any of those things in Texas, in most, in the urban areas of Texas. Maybe in North Texas, maybe they're more used to it, but they don't have it in Dallas, and they don't really have it in Houston. And we used to confront this in Super Bowls. Whenever there'd be a Super Bowl in Atlanta, there'd always be an ice storm. And you'd be sitting sort of outside in an outdoor set near a highway, and just for your own amusement, cars would crash into each other all the time. Am I right, Nigel? No, all absolutely. the time. Yeah. Because they're not prepared for ice on the roads. They just, they're flying around. They're going, it's not even that they're going too fast. They don't have any control of their cars. It's a solid sheet of ice. So fortunately for people living in the Northeast or probably from Virginia up, you know, you're used to snow on a regular basis. You're prepared for snow. Midwest prepared for snow. 
Texas, but they've lost so much. I don't even understand the logic of losing all the power. If you have all this power, because you need all this power for summers where it's 105 degrees for three months in a row, and you have the power, why do you not have the power in a snowstorm? Why? Because then, I guess because the power lines come down, I no, guess. I think some of it was that they have a lot of windmill power, and I think like a quarter of their power comes down. Maybe it's more. I don't know. Um, oh. and, and the windmills froze. The, the, and I guess no. Oh, really? really? Yeah. So, the, I mean, that's, that's part of the problem. Didn't they have anybody up there throwing hot water on them? <laughs> Didn't they anticipate not. this? No, and, and to that yeah. point, this has sadly become, and predictably so, become very predictable as to how you, how you invest in your energy strategies. And I, and I think it is a small percent. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure to the exact number, but people are pointing fingers both ways saying you just wouldn't ever see this coming. But it's right. got to right. be even more than the three right. months because you think about the shoulder season. It's not just going to be in the summer when it's going to be that hot. It's, it's, it's going to be spring through the fall. It gets really hot there. And they start, That's half anyway, the year. So let me get to this other thing. And, and this, now we're going to go back to free things. The LLB oh. things are not free. They're not free. <laughs> I wrote a check for them. They're not free. Reasonably priced. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, but uh, Robert McGoodwin is, is, has something to do, well, he's, he has to do with commercial real estate in Lexington, Kentucky, but he's also with Delta Belt. And he sent us the, remember, he was going to send us some belts, right. and I emphasize some belts, S-O-M-E, some belts. I thought maybe I'd get a couple of belts for Binghamton, a couple of belts for Penn for you, a couple of belts. He wanted to get Wilbon, a couple of Northwestern belts. There, there's like 50, 60 belts, more, 70 belts. There's so many belts. Now at some point, you just wonder, what are you, you, if you're cutting the ribbon, what am I fabric, doing? was it just easier to produce this many? We did small, medium, large, and extra large in each design. I've included two of each. There's two designs for Penn, two designs for Northwestern, two designs for Binghamton. It's just a lot of belts. And I'm, I'm Let me describe the design. So you have the school's insignia. So you have a, you know, the Penn Shield, you have the Northwestern, I think it's the Shield with maybe the DNU. Yeah, and you have the you have the Bearcats B, but then you also have the striped colors. And this is where it begins when when I first saw them online, I described it as very southern. Honestly, these belts make me feel like it's officially rush season. Yeah. And I've got my little top hat at Penn for heyday. And I'm about to start breaking out into Fair Harvard has her crimson, old Yale her colors too. Drink a highball. Uh, <laughs> we could all do that, except some of us went to state schools. <laughs> and so, I mean, I want to say to Rob McGoodwin how grateful I am, but you have given me so many belts, and I, I'm sort of wondering what to do. One of the things I thought of, Michael and I thought of, well, certainly in, in Binghamton, I could send these to Sheila Doyle, who's an executive assistant to Harvey Stanger, the president of the school. And I could say, oh, right. maybe you want to give some of these out to students. You know, I don't know if you have belts at Binghamton, but if you don't, maybe they would like these and maybe you could then order these belts oh, right, and, yeah. and sell them in the bookstore. I, you know, you have some friends from Penn that you could give some belts to. Yeah, I have a feeling Colin, Wilbon is Colin never and coming Tom back. St. Maxons are going to be the big winners yeah. of this. Uh, I mean, Wilbon's never ball. coming back. He's not coming back from Arizona, so I have to send him to his house in Arizona. Um, and it's just so many bells. I think if you send these to Harvey's office, he can he can put them around the waist of the right people. Say if you had a basketball coach who was going to be in a high-profile tournament in March. Yeah, the America East tournament, because yeah, we're not making the NCAAs. Oh, are you guys, you get an automatic bid to the American East tournament this year? I don't year? know that. Uh, Nigel, what is our record? Are we in last place in the America East? Are we like sufficiently yes, ahead of that? I'll have to look it up, but I believe the record was two and thirteen, and currently in last place. But I will double check that. <laughs> How right are they now. doing out of conference? Uh, I guess we're not doing very well. <laughs> wow, well, that's insane. brutal. Didn't we beat St. Francis though? I thought we beat St. Francis of Pennsylvania once. I'm so not... maybe you're the first four in. Oh boy, oh boy. Anyway, so that's that's um, that's sort of my life at the moment. I was I don't really have anything. Sportsy to talk. Wilbon and I led the show yesterday with Draymond Green making a plea that that NBA players get treated with more respect. And I never considered it. I mean, I always, as I said on the show, I always thought respect was how much money they paid you. 
Draymond Green, for example, will make $22 million this year. If you're listening out there and you're not in a car where you need your hands on the wheel, raise your hand if you're going to make $22 million this year. As Don Draper said, that's what the money's for. You know, that is how people show respect. But I guess, and I came around to concede the point that if you have benched a guy, and this has happened to Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, who are many-time All-Stars in their previous careers uh, in the league, they've been benched to either be released or to be traded. And Draymond Green's point was that they have to appear professional and they have to stay in shape and they have to toe the line or, you know, they will be criticized unmercifully, whereas owners of teams for doing this don't get criticized. And my pushback was, and I get that, there could be a whisper campaign. But my pushback was, when you're a really good player, you get everything you want. Anthony Davis didn't want to play in New Orleans anymore. And he said, I want to play in the Lakers. Where's Anthony Davis now? He's on the Lakers. James Harden said, I'm done in Houston, and I want to play for the Nets. Where's James Harden now? He's on the Nets. I mean, in the NBA for years, people have been able to say, I don't want to play here, and I want to play over there and work it out. And it almost always gets worked out. So I don't see that there is a great loss of respect or standing or stature for players that say this. But Draymond Green is interesting. He's always provocative. He's sort of an idealist, and he's a tremendous advocate for players. And so, and Mike loves him. Mike loves Draymond Green. I, I don't know him except to say hello. But so That's interesting. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking of respect immediately out of the space of basketball or beyond just the physical space, thinking about particularly the, the social justice world or even the world of business. And you, and you look at former players, you look at what Shaq has done in the business world, and then you look at what everything. LeBron's doing right now and what all these players are rallying around towards more than a vote, and, you, and you're starting to see they're recognizing real power with that with that yep. position and that to me that's respect that's what i would think too but you know anyway it was interesting and i i enjoyed talking about it on the show briefly uh i mean i enjoyed talking about that more than what wilbon always wants to talk about which is this when are you going to concede that the utah jazz have a great chance in the playoffs <laughs> and my answer is always the same it's february the playoffs aren't until may why do we always talk about the playoffs so far from the playoffs. Anyway, so uh, we're going to have Chuck Culpepper on next. And after yes. that, Chris Saliza yes. is going to be on. So yes, I, I have, will get up. Go I, ahead. Have, I have Binghamton information if you would like. Yeah. Are we are? How are we in league play? Are we uh, two and ten um, in, in oh. last place? Two games behind the University of Maine. Unfortunately, you had you were supposed to have two matches with Maine this past weekend, but they both canceled. So no chance to make up that ground. Got four games left um, back to back with New Jersey IT and then closing out with Albany, I guess. The New so Jersey Institute of Technology. How did they get in the America East? I mean, really, how did they get in the America East? I mean, that sounds like, doesn't it sound like a, a trade school? A little bit, I mean, yeah. New Jersey <laughs> Institute like of Technology? Maybe it isn't yeah. because it's the Georgia Institute of Technology. It's Georgia Tech. So right. I shouldn't insult it, but I don't like it. Are they going to beat us? Are they, where, are they in, where are they in the standings? Uh, let me look at NJIT. The uh, let's and see. Where's Al Albany's probably better than we are. They're probably, uh, they usually are. I hate uh, Albany. Uh, hold on. Oh, darn it. It's a uh, switch to something else. Hold on. Uh, I've got Vermont's still first. Right? Albany, is, is, Albany is five and five in conference. And that's NJIT better than us. He is six and eight. So yeah, everybody's mm, and better that's... than Binghamton right now. Yeah. You go. They win. ought to let us in, but they should let us in the tournament this year because this is, this is a year that you know, a lot of games were canceled and they should be they should reach out to all the members of the America East and make sure that we get in the tournament even if we finish last. Just give us a play in game. If we're nine, give us a play in game, eight, nine. You know, that's give us a game. See how we do. All right. Uh yeah, Chuck Culpepper, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the underpants read. MeUndies know self-expression is important. It's why they make the most unique printed undies. Now, they, this is where it gets interesting for Robert Berg. Uh, they make sure their undies are made from the world's softest, most sustainable material. And today, I am wearing the pink and, I believe it's a uh, pink and blue half-print circle. So there you go, Robert. It's why they write these Wait, wait, wait. Does Robert Berg need to know what your underpants are? 
I is... just thought he might be interested. Okay. Uh, he has written a jingle, apparently, and I thought he might like oh, that oh, extra okay, okay. fodder. <laughs> okay. It's why they write these ads so that you hear from them and know it's time to upgrade your undies. They want you to feel like you, and they want you to be comfy as heck while doing it. Uh, so what's so great, and this has now been almost a full year, you get these uh, sent to your door, and our boys are like little male carrier pigeons where they just run over to the door and pick up whatever you put through the door slot or the mail slot and bring it back to you. Isn't that and nice? And it's so great that he has recognized the packaging for me undies and happily brings the underpants right over to you. It's time you stopped worrying about whether or not you have enough coins to do laundry. It's time to get the me undies membership. Why, who, why do you need a membership? I got a little... Got a little flummoxed there. Well, you don't really, but it's fun, and then you can also worry less about boring things like laundry. Each month, you get a pair of undies that strikes your fancy delivery. Wait, wait. So are they suggesting that you just wear what comes to the house and throw everything else out and wait a month and do it that way? Well, to do that, you'd have to have the official culling of the underpants, and that would involve the boys. So I think this is just it lets you push off laundry, say, for one day a little bit longer as you get to critical mass of underpants. Now, for each person, that might be a different number, depending on location, activity, all that. Location, location, location. Each month, you get a pair of undies that strikes your fancy delivered right to your door. Plus, the membership saves you up to 30% on virtually everything they make. MeUndies are offered in a range of sizes, from extra small to 4XL, and these are the softest undies on earth. They don't stop there, though. Get the same softest heck material in loungewear and onesies. MeUndies has a great offer for Tony's listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get 15% off your first order, free shipping, a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's MeUndies.com slash Tony K. That's a real good read. Hey, thanks, Dad. Yeah. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from Matthew Shell, who writes, Would you be open to playing my song, Soar? And yes, we would be. It is a relaxing, lo-fi instrumental from my upcoming March 1st album release, Towards New Beginnings 2, Songs of Healing, featuring Vaughn Stepanian and Sammy Tarunin. And he also says, thanks again for playing Nelly's Echoes song, Calling for You. This is lovely music. Maybe I would have been able to sleep last night if I had played this music. Oh, sure. You know, at two in the morning when I woke up for good. Chuck Culpepper joins us now, and I will confess this. Uh, It's not a terribly intricate confession, but I've... I've paid attention to college basketball for over 60 years. I would say that the first sport that I probably fell in love with and wanted to cover was college basketball more than anything else. Really always loved college basketball growing up on Long Island, um, paid attention to St. John's more than anything else. And, and I, and because Larry Brown was my counselor at camp and he'd gone to the university of North Carolina, I paid attention to the ACC. Uh, and that's really all you had to do to pay attention to this year is one of the first years that I've paid absolutely no intention because the season is so disrupted and it's so pockmarked with, you know, cancellations and postponements, and I've never gotten a feel for it. So I'm not going to be as as combative uh, with with Chuck Culpepper on these things because I really don't know much. So I'll start with the easiest thing in the world, which is the top two teams, and they've been on top all year, Gonzaga and Baylor, Which one do you believe in more, Chuck? And would you take them, if I gave you the bet of of both of them against the entire field of college basketball in the NCAA tournament, which is upcoming, would you take one of them or both of them, or would you take the field? I would take the field. And by the way, I'm only marginally better than you are because I think we're all having trouble focusing on anything at this point. Yeah. At this point. And. I keep running across that. No, I've, there's something too easy, not easy, but too simple about it to me, to, that, that, that they're both just sitting up there the whole time, and they're very, both really impressive. But I, I think I'd always take the field in something like that. I would. I mean, I would take the field because I can't get past the fact that Baylor is a football school, and I can't get past the fact that Gonzaga has done this 
repeatedly come into the tournament looking great and they've been to the final four exactly once and they've won the tournament exactly never. Um, I am curious how the committee, and this is this sparked uh, Wilbon and I talking about it the other day. I am curious how the committee came up with a top 16. I don't, I don't think it's as hard to do as the college football playoffs with such an uneven amount of games, but I don't think this was easy to do. And I wonder how much faith you put in that top 16 and what you look at, you know, when you see it, what stands out to you? I think, you know, when, when I see it, I, I was surprised that they did it at all. You know, and one of the things Mitch Barnhart, the chairman said, he's the athletic director at Kentucky. One of the things he said was that um, it was great just to be together, you know, after this is their first time since last March, just being together. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think I kind of look at that thing with, with, I, I don't know. It's, it kind of is just to generate interest. So, I mean, I would look at maybe I was kind of studying who was not in there, but kind of on the verge of it. And I would, I think Florida state was not in there. That's, that's what interested me the most because they've won 3000 home games this year. They, they killed yeah. people. They just killed Virginia by 20. You know, well, well, that was a v- very loud win. I thought that, yeah, over Virginia. And, and they were also, everyone's, all the cool people thought they were going to win the title last year if it had happened, you know, and just, it's his 19th season, Leonard Hamilton. It's, there's all, you know, there's always such a sense there that of a whole lot of people buying into something like it's a happy place. And, um, yeah, I just think, uh, now that this was done and then and then they have this win over Virginia that was just I mean they scored 81 points on Virginia yeah yeah so I'd say that was the most interesting to me I would say that that the uh, NCAA tournament this year and the need to have it expressed by so many coaches can be distilled into two words money grab that's all it is is a money grab now it's not as terrible a money grab as the NBA all-star game which is just a blatant, naked money grab, but it is a money grab nonetheless. They're determined to have this tournament no matter what. Uh, the, the top 16 teams were top-heavy with Big Ten teams, including a Michigan team in a number one seed that hadn't played in three weeks, hadn't even played, hadn't gone on the court in three weeks. What is the, uh, what is the attraction to the committee of the Big Ten that they would be dominant i think it might be a money grab part of the money grab of some kind there's going to be a big game on sunday at ohio state between michigan and ohio state who are Foot, football or four. basketball are they going to play yeah, the football I mean, game yeah, yeah so. we didn't have the yeah no so we didn't have the football so now we're going to have this big basketball game on sun i believe it's sunday and I, I don't know what day it is and i've been watching the australian open so it doubles your inability to know what day it is but, um, but yeah, I think, um, I mean, the Big Ten is impressive. Illinois is way up there, too. They're, that's a really impressive team. Um, Iowa, um, Iowa's close to the top ten now. So um, that's, you know, I, I do think it's the best league. I think it's been the best league this year. You know, you look at further teams like Rutgers and Maryland, um, just I, I think that's been – I mean, as much as we can say, the whole thing, as you said, is pockmarked and disjointed, it is. and it is. and it's it's unsatisfying, and it's it's just a bit, you know, you watch it and you just does any sport suffer more from the lack of a raging crowd? I, I think it suffers more than in all the other sports. So I have yeah. trouble making these statements of who's what, but I do think it's it looks like the best league. There was only one ACC team in, that was Virginia, which was on, you know, third seed. They are the defending champions still. There was only one Big East team, Villanova. There were no Pac-12 teams, which makes me happy because Larry Scott is the worst commissioner I have ever seen in any league. He took the Pac-12 from positions of dominance in two sports, and they've utterly, utterly disappeared. But are you are you okay with that notion, one ACC, one Big East, no Pac-12? Do you think at least they got it right? I mean, the SEC, which my whole life 
was a terrible basketball conference with the exception of a few years with Vanderbilt and always with Kentucky. Kentucky's not even one of the teams in it, and they have three of the 16. Is, are you okay with that? I think I spent nine years in Kentucky, which is a great place to write about sports. Uh, yeah. And, and to follow this team this year, so I still follow it maybe a little more than other teams because of that past. And to follow it this year has been so strange. I just can't. And, you know, there's no place in the country where people follow game to game the regular season more than there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with, with that part of it. I think the Big 12 uh, is, is also strong. It might have had how many teams in there? Would in the West Virginia was there. Texas well, they had Texas, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, yeah. Kansas not oh. in it. Kansas not Oklahoma. in it. I think yeah, they're Oklahoma. in. So they had four. They had four or yeah, five. Yeah. They're really strong showing. So, yeah, the, the SEC, um, I mean, Arkansas is getting better and better. They've just, they've just nudged into the top 25. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that the absence of Kentucky there is almost like you, you almost say, well, you know, they shouldn't have to be beholden to – like trivialities, like one lost record. They should, they should, you should always just put Kentucky, you know. Yeah, I feel that way about Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas and Michigan State, all of which are having bad years. And if you were to uh, go to a large group of people and you had to be introduced by what you did for a living, and if in fact you were to say, well, I cover college sports and I've lately I've been covering college basketball. The one question that you would get is is that question. What happened to those schools this year? How do we explain what happened to those schools this year? That is a question. That's a much bigger question to me than who's better, Gonzaga or Baylor. What happened to these schools? So I'm asking. That's a, that's a much bigger question to me, too, and I'm fascinated with it. And what I'm wondering is, has something kind of shifted in the sport where you need more stability year to year than just the one and done. You know, we had a one, what was the last one and done champion Duke in 2015, I think. Then we've had what Villanova, Carolina had some veterans on it. Then we had Villanova again and Virginia had veterans on it. It's, it has it become a sort of a need in the sport in a way that it wasn't before that you do have guys who, who have had time to, to you know, to learn your system well, and to and to uh, you know, and to gain college game experience, which for a while there we were kind of saying, oh, that's you know, that's that's an either or thing. And I'm just, I I, I do think it's worth a study, even into kind of a you know, and I, I might start asking as I go if I go around Indiana in uh, in March is is uh, is is the sport now. And, and I think it would be healthy for the sport if, if it were true that, you, that you're going to have to, the way that it's working now, for whatever reason, you're going to have to have those, those mainstay kind of guys around for, for two or three or four years. I used to really, really pay attention to college basketball and cover college basketball. And in the days when people stayed at least three years and often stayed four years, and I've used this example a lot, I don't know if people will even remember this name, but you could watch Duke on television all the time. You, you were so attuned to Duke that you knew when Bobby Hurley got a haircut. You, you knew that because you watched all the time years of Bobby Hurley and the length of, of his hair. And I think one and done is killing college basketball. I think it's awful. I don't, I don't even think it's legal you know, on a, on a grand scale, it's legal because the NBA can decide what it wants to do. But I think the crumb that it throws to college really hurts college basketball. And I wish they would stop it. And I wonder how you feel about it. The same. I don't think there's any question of that. And, and the place that, that I see it most as most acute is Kentucky, because, you know, all fans can love getting to know what they think they know you know, the players and getting familiar with them across four seasons. And, you know, the Kentucky team that lost to Duke in the Leitner game in, in March 28th, 92 is coming to mind now. And, and how beloved and how a part of life those guys were, you know, the, especially the, the three Kentuckians and who were, uh, you know, the, the mainstays of that team. 
And the one thing I hear a lot from people I still keep in touch with in Kentucky is they really miss that element. They've enjoyed, you know, they won a title with Anthony Davis. They enjoyed that. They had a team that went 38-0 and went to the Final Four with just a galaxy of stars. Uh, they enjoyed that until the until Wisconsin beat them. And I, I just sense that... That may be the best love, game I've ever seen, Chuck. That that semifinal yeah. game, that may be the best yeah. NCAA tournament game I've ever seen. It was just great. It was, it was great. It was tense. And, um, and they love Calipari uh, because yeah. he partly he relates to them. He, he's just so great at treating them with respect and fans with respect and relates to them well, um, so well. But I, I, there's this fatigue with the one and done. They would like to get to know players better. I think they would like to have it. That it back to the way that it was, and if the sport trends that way, and if he would certainly be talented enough, skilled enough to to trend that way as well, then I think everybody would be better off. Yes, I think it. Yeah, I think it's been re- much more harmful than I used to think that it was to the sport. Yeah, I've, I've never liked it. Never liked it. All right, we'll get you out of here on this because you mentioned you were paying attention to the Australian Open. Has the Serena Osaka match happened yet? And if it hasn't, who do you think will win that? I think it's supposed to be 10 o'clock Eastern time, United States tonight, but there's always the possibility that I'm walking around and it's already gone on and finished. <laughs> um, I, I would have told you definitely, you know, there's an amazing statistic about Osaka. She's played, I think this is the 18th Grand Slam. If she gets, she's stopped, been stopped before the quarterfinals in, in all but three. If she gets past the quarterfinal, if she gets past the fourth round to the quarterfinal, she's 10-0 and 0 in those matches, quarters, semis, and finals. Oh, she's wow. never lost wow. when, she's wow. beyond, when she makes it beyond the fourth round. I would easily pick her except for this look that Serena has now in the way that she's moving around, which is what everybody's talking about. It's just, she just looks great. She just looks happy. She looks serene, if I could. Um, she's just... So I like her. I like her to win that. And then, but I really like Jennifer Brady on the other side. She played at UCLA and took her a while to kind of find her way. Uh, She won $444 at a tournament in Waco in November, 2016. And four years later, she's turned up in two of the last three slam semifinals. So if it's Serena and Jennifer Brady, which is what I expect, I think that would be a hell of a final. Okay. Thank you so much, Chuck. It's such a pleasure to have you on. We'll do it soon. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper, boys and girls. Uh, We will take a break. Chris Saliza will join us when we return. As promised, we're going to take a calm look at the impeachment and the sort of residue from that. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Matt Citron, who has a new track out. And he's sharing it with us. It's called New Bloom. It's for a new year and a new outlook. We have played his previous releases down in Wisteria. And this is new. And if people like Matt Citron want to play, have their original music played on this show, which can be heard in its entirety without us babbling at the end of the show, Michael, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Chris Eliza joins us now, and as I have said earlier in the show, I waited a few days to go back into the impeachment hearing uh, so that people's nerves would calm down. It wouldn't be quite as raw, and I have a series of questions, the sort of obvious questions for Chris, who does this for a living. This is no surprise, right? The Trump acquittal, that was no surprise. Were, were the amount of Republican votes to convict a surprise, or was that no surprise as well? Mm, definitely no surprise that he was acquitted. You know, I mean, at the like nerdy margins, a surprise in that Richard Burr from North Carolina, who previously had been best known in the Senate for not wearing socks with his loafers, uh, oh, voted okay. to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the kind of thing that, I like that gets me through the day. No, I um, like him. Yeah. He had he had not been expected to vote to convict. Trump, and he did. So there, there were seven Republicans voting to convict. By and large, we knew all those. You know, it was it was sort of the usual suspects. It was 
you know, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, you know, p- people who had been long critical of Trump. The Burr thing was a little bit of a surprise, but again, he's retiring uh, in 2022. And so he doesn't have that much to fear from Trump. And so it's not that big a surprise. But no, I would say outside of that somewhat, you know, point of minutia, we expected this to go the way it went. The, the only surprise I'll note, Tone, was on, on uh, Saturday, the Senate suddenly voted that they were going to have witnesses, which y- they were going to bring some people in. That was a big deal. We did not expect that. Everyone thought the trial was going to wrap up on on Saturday. <laughs> and then, like, two hours later, they said, oh, you know what, we're good. Well, this is, this uh, is what I was, gonna, I was going to ask yeah. this, that they get to the point where they can bring in witnesses. They decide yep. not to bring in witnesses, which shortens the amount of attention span that people have to yeah. use on this particular thing. Um, if I'm Joe Biden, I'm thrilled with that, and I may have even yeah. said something to somebody. Let's not have this long parade, this agonizing parade that is going to end in this particular way. I don't even yeah. know why you are doing this. And so can you explain why no witnesses when they get yeah. the chance to have them? So couple things. One, the Senate was constitutionally bound to do it. Uh, once the House impeaches someone, the Senate has to hold a trial. So they couldn't get out of it. Um, the uh, no witnesses thing was weird only in that we didn't expect there to be witnesses. Then suddenly the Senate on Saturday morning voted to have witnesses. And then yeah. like two hours later, they essentially said, all right, we're not going to call anyone. We're going to put this one woman uh, con- female congresswoman, her name is uh, Jamie Herrera Butler. We're going to put her testimony about <laughs> Donald Trump calling uh, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McDonald, the House, the House McCarthy, Minority yeah. Leader, uh, basically saying uh, these people who are rioting through the Capitol care more about the election than you do. Like, you know, just callousness. Uh, we're going to put that in the record, her recounting of that, but then that's it. Um, you are 100% right to see Biden's hand in that. Um, sure. He he did not want this trial to go on. His ally, uh, a, a senator named Chris Coons, uh, in from Delaware, came into the House impeachment managers and, and essentially said, "Hey, uh, this isn't going to change the outcome. Why are we doing this?" Um, and you probably did not watch from nine to ten last night the CNN town hall with Joe Biden, but I did. And Michael did directly. Yes, yeah, Michael, Michael is a Michael is a loyal cable news follower, and, and I I celebrate him every day, <laughs> but this day in particular. Um, in that, Joe Biden uh, was asked directly by Anderson Cooper, you know, what do you think of impeachment, and what do you think of Donald Trump? And he essentially said, "I'm sick of talking about Donald Trump. The last four years are about Donald Trump. I don't want to make the next four years about Donald Trump," which tells you everything you need to know about why the impeachment trial ended as quickly as it did. Okay, and that there is the one follow question that I think is necessary, and it's about Nancy Pelosi. She's mm-hmm. continuing this. She's doing this commission. You know, you've yeah. got all the tape. You you saw what happened. Everybody has seen what happened. It was in that building. Everyone saw this. Why? What is her need to plow the same ground again and again and again? And am I being too critical when I say that? Um, I mean, I think she feels, I, so I think, okay, I think it's two things. One, I think she feels personally that this was something that you can't just say like, okay, well, we sort of know what happened. Let's move on. And two, I think she feels pressure from within the Congress among Democrats to do something more because there continues to be, though there's no proof, there continues to be allegations and whispers that there were Republican members who helped facilitate these people getting, uh, if not getting into the Capitol, uh, being familiar with the Capitol's layout. Uh, you know, they want to find out if there was any help from the inside once this whole thing started. I agree with you. I mean, look, if you watched any part of that trial, it seems to me it, it's pretty clear that Donald Trump spent months and months and months stoking a lie that the election was uh, stolen from him, that on January 6th, he certainly gave some bellicose rhetoric to people who were already ready to cause trouble. And then after it was clear that they were causing lots and lots of trouble, he had common cause with them and didn't really want to come out and say anything to say, like, let's disperse, because 
he thought they were sort of doing his the what he wanted to do. Like those things, I, I struggle to dispute. Now, a commission, I think, is going to try to find every. It'll be like a nine eleven commission, right? You're going to have a yes. huge report that details every little thing that happens. Yes. Um, you know, I think it depends how big a deal historically you think what happened was. Pelosi views it as a huge historic moment. The capital, you know, the first time the capital was overtaken since, uh, you know, the 1800s when the French did it. Um, they view that as a massive moment that needs more examination. I think Biden, if he had his choice, if he could just snap his fingers, and make it happen, would probably say, let's just move on. Let's move he on. doesn't really want to litigate it more about yeah. Trump in yeah. the next four years. Yeah, I mean, I just would say that Nancy Pelosi at the moment has come up with the bases loaded twice and whiffed, and I don't really know why she would want to do it again. I'll go to the other side of the aisle, lest people think that I'm spending too much time on one side. Mitch McConnell, who had been extraordinarily loyal for at least three years to Donald Trump, uh, was was now called a political hack last night. It was called a political hack, which made me laugh. Going sour. (laughs) Yeah. So what did, you know, what do you make of that? What do you make of that? And that's well, probably mean, because Mitch McConnell held open the possibility that Donald Trump could be charged in a civil action, right? Right? Yes. Yeah, he eviscer- yes, absolutely. He, evis- he eviscerated Trump after voting to acquit him. Essentially what McConnell yes. said is, my vote to acquit is because I don't think you can impeach a former president, and I think it sets a dangerous precedent. That said, I think Donald Trump, you know, th- that this – this whole what we saw on January sixth lies in his feet, and Trump did what he what he always did. I mean, he did it in the form of a statement because he can't tweet anymore because he's he's been removed from that platform. But he issued a long statement, uh, savaging McConnell. My favorite part: CNN reported this last night that he actually wanted it to be worse than that. He wanted it to be nastier, but was talked out of it, which is amazing. It reminds me of Spinal Tap when she's like, "You have a woman on all fours." smelling a leather glove and, and the manager says, well, you should have seen what they wanted to put on the cover. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it uh. reminds me so much of that. Well, you should have seen what he wanted to say. Um, yeah, look, he burns every bridge. I mean, McConnell understood that this was a transactional relationship. McConnell wanted more conservative judges. That's always been McConnell's long-term goal is, is sort of re, uh, re um, putting a new face on the judiciary because those are lifetime appointments, right? So it doesn't matter that Biden's president. No executive action can roll back the three Supreme Court justices in the lower courts. And so he got that out of Trump, and now he's trying to move on. Now, I think that Trump is not so easily put in the rearview mirror. Uh, Nobody puts him in the corner, uh, right? Like, that's not who he is, and I think he will fight like hell on that front. So. Look, this is a classic. Like, McConnell made that bed, now he has to lie in it. I mean, it's true of all the Republicans. They they made a deal with a guy who was only tangentially a Republican, who they knew had no loyalty uh, to them or anyone else other than himself and his family. And and now they're, you know, they, they got a decent <clears throat> chunk of what they wanted out of that. And now this is the price that you're paying. And I don't know how big a price, but it, it's going to be, it's not going to be, you don't snap your fingers and Donald Trump disappears. Right. So I'll get you out of here on this. And this is the question that you would expect. And, and I assume you prepared for it, which is the power of Donald Trump. Do you see do you see Donald Trump actually running for president again, being the Republican Party nominee? Um, I, I think it's probably 40 percent. Yes, 60 percent. No. And I think the reason for this, I think he is in real financial and legal trouble. Um, I, I think, you know, people say, well, why hasn't he been on TV? I think it's because he's in significant financial and legal trouble and that, you know, anything you say can and will be used against you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that complicates it. If, if he ran, I think he would likely be the Republican nominee. I, I find it hard wow. to believe that someone like Ben Sass or... Larry Hogan, or you know, or, or anyone else that's being mentioned, I, I just don't see those people beating him in a Republican primary. A poll came out yesterday uh, that showed seventy-five percent of the Republican seventy-five percent of Republicans want him to have a prominent role going forward in the party. Like 
that's the disconnect here, Tony. It's like McConnell would like to say, like, Donald who? I don't I don't remember what I, that who? Uh, whereas the, the base of the Republican Party is still very loyal to him. You see it uh, in the motions to censure these Republicans, to, to bring it back to where we started, to censure these Republicans who voted, yeah, who to voted against him. him. Richard, yeah. Richard Burr in North Carolina, Pat Toomey uh, in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, it, it speaks to where the base of the Republican Party is, that, that they are moving to penalize these senators for voting their conscience. So I think it is more up to his... I think it's less about the politics for him than it is about his all his other entanglements. I think if he gets to a point where he feels good about running, I think he would likely be the nominee, and I think he would likely what? lose. I just don't, I don't see a majority coalition for Donald Trump in this country, but I definitely see a majority coalition in the Republican Party for him, at least at the moment. Wow. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I, hey, Chris. I knew that Chris. I knew I knew that I had uh, I knew that I had this show this morning, so I I had the chauffeur take the kids to school. So I'm I'm still in there. <laughs> Chris, any any uh, any chance that we see you in a linen tweener shirt on the Amalfi Coast with uh, Stanley Tucci and Searching for Italy? So there has been some chatter of my involvement in the Stanley Tucci show due to my Italian surname. I'm si, si, really Chico. working to make that happen, Michael. That show is awesome. Allora. What a, isn't that an amazing gig? You basically say, like, hey, I'd like to uh, go around to Italy and uh, eat and drink and talk about the culture. And they're like, that sounds good. <laughs> I like him. I, I like Stanley Tucci. He's wonderful. Yeah. He's so good. Isn't he in Big Night, like one of my favorite underrated movies about the, the restaurant that's closing? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold. That's a good one. Oh, such a lovely He's in. The, he's food. great in The Devil Wears Prada. He's just great. Oh, yes. He's yeah, great. He is real. He's, hey, I, look, I'm not going to badmouth him because I'm angling for a spot on that show. I mean, he's a wonderful man, and Bald is beautiful. I thank you, Chris. Oh, by the way, by the way before, before we let Chris go, um, Chris, mm-hmm. I, I'm only because I know we'll get a million emails about this. I believe you misspoke when you said about the capital being stormed. Uh, hasn't ha- happened oh, since the 1800s in the French, I believe you said, unless I misheard you. And of course, that was oh, my. Yes, and it was the Brit- yes, it was the British. Yes. yes thank just you for the- correcting me. Yes. Thank you. I, well, I, I wasn't I able to correct you. I didn't know. <laughs> Mike, for, Mike from Burke, Virginia is already three quarters of the way through an email about how stupid I am. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Crystal is a boys and girls. Sense. We will take a break. Uh, we will come back. Email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. I keep hoping you got something for me. Golf balls, ravioli, or some jeans I've been kvetching when I shouldn't have been kvetching Now someone's gone giving me some keys <laughs> These boots are made for snoring That's just what I'll do One of these days these snores gonna snore all over you <laughs> Okay, you're going to want to know how that happened. (laughs) And I will just read this. Hey, Nigel, I think I have a problem. I'm supposed to be working on my new show, but then I listen to the podcast and I get inspired to waste time on other things. I got an idea last Friday when Tony got himself a pair of free boots, keen boots, so I sat up in bed and I wrote something. Fifteen minutes later, I had something that made me laugh, but it needed more. Luckily, I had done a favor for my good friend Suzanne Santo, who's one half of the band Honey Honey, and she took my words and brought them to life. Anyway, I give you this to do as you wish, Greg Garcia. It's brilliant. brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Of course it's brilliant. Ross, I hope you like that one. Just really good. All right, uh, Nigel, do the Bethesda Bagel ad. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then stop on in, and you will be thrilled. I like the fact that someone named Suzanne Santo will use the word snoring. I really like that. I mean, if you cut on that one. Oh, I got big news. Uh, spring is just around the corner, so we have a new code for Johnny O. Oh. TK Clocks, because I predict we'll have some conversations about clocks <laughs> in the next few weeks, and hopefully that'll run through March. Oh, good. Johnny yeah, O's back clocks. with us. Great. 
That'll do it for us today. It's not up yet, but I'll get it up. <laughs> All right, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, don't know much about history, don't know much biology, don't know much about a science book, don't know much about the French I took, but I do know that I love you, and I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. That song has been done by a million people, including Sam Cooke and Art Garfunkel, among others. Thanks mm-hmm. to our guests today, uh, Chuck Culpepper and Chris Saliza. Thanks to our sponsors, Me Undies. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, GooglePlayRadio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave a review. From Mike Roseberry in State College, Pennsylvania. I just wanted to thank you, and more accurately, Nigel, for the idea of a Peter Asher cameo. My wife is a huge Beatles fan, so I had a Mr. Asher do a Valentine's cameo for her, and she was thrilled. This has increased my standing immeasurably when hopefully buy me an additional trip to a football game this fall. This also got me thinking there should be something like a reverse cameo. Where for a modest fee, you could record a venomous tirade at a celebrity, and they would have to listen to it. It could be a base fee with step-ups for every expletive you use in your message. Think of the funds that could be raised on messages to Saliza alone. I still haven't called Peter Asher. We're making him so wealthy. He's busy. Yeah, he's very busy. I haven't called him. I still don't know if he knows who I am. Peter Opelt, or Opelt, in Manhattan, Kansas. This evening, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I were watching the Julia Roberts classic, Runaway Bride. Not my choice, but you know how it goes. The end credits are accompanied by a version of You Can't Hurry Love, originally performed by the Supremes. I thought I recognized the artist singing, but I wanted to look on the Google machine to confirm. After seeing that it was, in fact, the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, I noticed another familiar name. That particular version was produced by none other than Mr. Peter Asher, a name I would have otherwise completely missed had it not been for the endless recycling of stories of a bald orange man. Thank you for all of your wonderful stories and musings. Goodness knows we didn't come here for the insightful sports analysis. From Steve the Sycophant, thank you, thank you for mentioning this new cameo service. I booked a Peter Asher cameo for my wife and myself. We got a 30-minute one during which he sang all the Peter and Gordon hits and told some stories about the Beatles I'd never heard before. I sent him a thank you. He responded. Then we got together on Zoom. Better yet, he's invited me to visit him when the pandemic eases, and he's promised me to be able to hang out a while with Sir Paul and, and Ringo. He's also thinking about me participating in his next album. It's all due to you, Toby. Thanks a bunch. That's funny. From Dan Fitz in Philadelphia. After listening to Liz Clark talk about the recent history of NASCAR, I can't help but think that Subaru is missing a perfect opportunity to expand their influence through stock car racing. A special place in the cockpit told the driver's latte, a car adorned with an Ivy League medical school sponsorships, the coexist bumper sticker as they trade paint on the straightaways. We already know Subaru drivers are better than everyone else on their street. Now prove it at Talladega. From Michael Forrest in Harrington, Delaware. I've been listening to your podcast since last March after I heard you mention on the PTI show. During the pandemic's early stages, I would help transport medical personnel personnel to and from hospitals and nursing homes in the southern Delaware area. And in between rides, we'll listen to your podcast as a therapeutic way to help me get through the long days. So I guess in a way, I could say I'm a long-time listener and a first-time caller. Anyway, I figure I should add to the Subaru stories with one that happened to me recently. I was driving with my family through Rehoboth while listening to one of your podcasts, and you started your attack on Subaru. When my son, to whom I'm related to by birth from the woman I'm related to by marriage, asked Daddy, why does Mr. Tony hate Subaru? Honestly, between my mind concentrating on the road and laughing out loud, the only answer I could give my son was, I would have to listen to the past episodes to find that answer for you. And just as I said that, there it was, a Subaru. Not just any Subaru. This was a color somewhere between orange or rust. And yes, it had a luggage rack on top. But this one had two mounted bikes on the rear with two stickers on the back window. One sticker said Virginia is for lovers. And the other just had a 13.1 on it which would lead me to wonder if it was the first half or second half of a marathon. (laughs) However, that is not how this ends. No, this particular Subaru decides to make a sudden right-hand turn from the left lane without the use of a turn signal, only to enter, wait for it, a Starbucks. It was at that moment I said out loud, oh, now I get it. Thank you for all you have done now and in the future. Uh, Greg Dobbs writing to Michael. I have kids' recommendations, kids' music recommendations for you. Oh, I'm listening. Casper Baby Pants. Oh, gosh. It was the best music for our kids that didn't annoy the adults. It's better than Rafi. Have you heard of that? I have not, but I'll, I'm going to admit that I kind of like Walker's playlist. A lot of Pete the Cat, a lot yeah. of Daniel Tiger. From Robbie Tinsley in Salisbury, Massachusetts, about 30 minutes north of Rivera. Henry the Hammer Kornheiser, 71, opens his podcast by talking to his son about the rust his robotic dog, Jesse 57, is developing after all the walks in the acid rain. Before he starts his next segment by talking to Littler Bon about the Washington 
watch the team's bullpen issues and Tom Brady's attempt to win a 50th Super Bowl. He begins his ad read. We have a new sponsor of the show, Michelob Ultra. Um, from Ross Bridges. Hello, Ancient Orange. You still dig them Uncle Jerry's extra dog pretzels? Yeah, I ain't going to mail you none. I'm just curious. From Ross in Lexington. Yes, I do. From Rick, Rick Wallace in Fairhope, Alabama. Willow Sport. You've repeatedly demonstrated your shortcomings in understanding various branches of science, including biology and astronomy. Now you seem equally deficient in dog behavior and training. Today you blame Chessie for eating too many dog biscuits, and perhaps she needed diet dog food. Did Chessie get in the pantry and steal the biscuits? Does she control how much dog food she gets? Unless she's catching rabbits every day, only the orange man controls how much she eats. Time to put her on a program, old man. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, first time, long time. Great topic. Love the show. Please don't read my name on the air. Um, well, this is from Mason White. I had the following email sent to me, and it made me think of the show. For the record, I don't remember this guy being in the band. Maybe it was the, best, the bass player. Mason White, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And then he, write, he includes this. My name is John Isaac. I'm the founder of Oneeder, an ed tech company <laughs> focused on transition. I'm reaching out to see if you'd be interested in learning about more of our blended transition curriculum. In addition to our engaging content, including hundreds of videos, our digital workbooks available in Google Docs, and our assessment data reporting provide artifacts and documentation that support compliance with Indicator 13. I'd love to share more about our work. Are you free for a brief meeting sometimes in the coming weeks? Is, is that what – what do I make of that? That's sort of funny. Do we think that meeting will be in a camper van? I hope so. Stew? Yes. Yeah, I hope so, in the back. And then you yeah. just sign this, and then we turn you over to Tom Hanks. <laughs> Dave Arnold, 70, in Broomall, Pennsylvania. Is that how it's pronounced, Broomall? That's near Philadelphia, isn't it? Broomall? Sure. In a story posted online, 7.36 p.m., Sunday, February 14th, the Washington Post's Cindy Boren wrote, It can take 90 minutes to an hour and a half to dry the Daytona International Speedway's 2.5-mile oval. How much longer than 90 minutes is an hour and a half? <laughs> and from David Lombardo in Saratoga Springs. The wife and I checked out a romantic drama from the year of my birth for Valentine's Day. It's called Dirty Dancing. Have you ever seen it? I'll hang up and listen. Yes, I'm a recent homeowner in the house next door to me. It has become a permanent Airbnb rental. Is my anger at this situation misplaced? That's awful. You don't want that. You don't want to have bought a house and mm -hmm. next door is a permanent Airbnb. No, it's just terrible. Dirty Dancing always makes me, makes me smile. Chris missed the name. It's you can't put baby in the corner. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live!